ask you please um, to pray with me. Father, um, this is your word. We know that uh, you've given it to us. Um, this is a wonderful grace to us to have this revelation before us, this revelation um, of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done. So I pray that you would enable us to um, attend to this word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that would embrace and believe. Uh, this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Ephesians in chapter 3, New Testament letter. Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read uh, the first 13 verses. Ephesians in chapter 3, please. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it, how has been, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to be not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And together we say. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, as I mentioned last Sunday, um, this particular section of this letter is a digression, um, a parenthesis, really. It's something that if it wasn't there, we probably wouldn't notice that it's not there. But since it is there, we think, why is this there? Why does he stop? And and we say that, that it's a digression or a parenthesis, because he starts in verse 1 with this expression, for this reason. And then in verse 14, goes back and says, for this reason. In other words, he says, I have a reason. I'm going to pray for you. But but, but he doesn't get to his prayer until verse 14. We noticed last Sunday, too, that this is a, a pattern of the apostle. He teaches something, and then he prays that those to whom he's taught it, um, get it, understand it, embrace it, and all of that. So, so that's what he's doing. He's taught uh, in chapter 2, and now he's going to pray. But before he gets there, he, he's a bit diverted because he realizes that he's just expressed again that he's suffering, that he's, he's in prison, and he wasn't, doesn't want his imprisonment in any way uh, to adversely affect their faith, to discourage them. Uh, you'll notice verse 13, uh, as he sums all of this up, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is 
uh, your glory. And so he takes a moment and he rather introduces himself, or is a bit autobiographical. He talks about himself here, uh, not because he's arrogant and, and has any need to be known by them particularly, but um, he wants them to understand his situation because his situation is part and parcel of the whole purpose of God for all things. So he wants to lay out a bit about that. So this is the digression. This is the path that he takes. And he describes his life um, with one expression. And and this expression, you can find it in two different places in this passage. Uh, One in verse 2 and the other in verses 7 and 8. In verse 2, he uses this expression. You can see it if your Bible is open. And if it isn't, open it uh, so you can see it. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says, God's grace that was given to me. God's grace that was given to me. And then in verse 7, he says, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me. Um, Then in verse 80, rather, gives a shortened version of that. He says, this grace was given. So, So Paul understands his life, his whole life as one in which he's been a recipient of, been given, a recipient of the grace of God. You might remember when he speaks of himself in another circumstance in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, uh, he speaks of himself in the same way. Verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, I I don't know myself apart from the grace of God. I'm not, if you will apart from the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And so anytime we find the apostle talking about his own life, and that should be true of us as well, anytime we're talking about our lives, it should be in the context of having been a recipient of the grace of God. And so he, he, he does this twice, two expressions, to explain um, his life. And you'll notice in verse 3, he says, or verse 2, he says, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, then how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So the first thing he wants us to know about himself as a result of God's grace is that he's received a revelation. He's been given something to know. He's received a revelation from God and so he's been given something to know. And then in verse 7, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which is given me by the working of his power. And so he was given something to know and he was also then given something by God's grace to do. He was given a commission. He was made a minister of this gospel. Something to know, something to do. And so this idea that he was given this mystery, something to know, you can see it's a, it, he calls it a mystery in verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me. Now a mystery, biblically speaking, something that was hidden and now is made known. It was something that was hidden. It was always there. You just couldn't see it until it was revealed. And so how this mystery was made known to me by revelation. And then verse 4, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So this mystery is something of Christ. In fact, we could say that Jesus is both the source of this mystery and the subject of this mystery. The source of it, that is, 
Paul received it from Jesus. And it was about Jesus as well. You remember on the, the, when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, it was Jesus who came to him. It was the risen Christ who came to him. It was Jesus who revealed himself there and then to this one who was known then as Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. And uh, verse 3, now as he went, Saul of Tarsus, went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? So in some sense, he realizes who he is already. Who are you, Lord? And he said, that is, the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so it was at that point that Jesus, the risen Jesus, uh, revealed himself. Uh, he was the revealer and he was also the subject of the revelation uh, and, and Paul then in Galatians uh, speaks very forthrightly about how he grew in the, his understanding of this revelation. He wanted everyone to know that he didn't come up with this himself, that it was revealed to him. In Galatians in chapter 1, verse 11, he writes about himself. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it. Through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And throughout the rest of that chapter, he'll talk some about, about his experience with that. But that's his point. Uh, I, I received this revelation, this mystery uh, concerning uh, Jesus. And first, it's the mystery of Christ, who Christ is, and what Christ has done. That Christ has, by way of his cross, reconciled us to God. And also, reconciled us to each other, united us with God through Jesus, we are, and also united to each other through Jesus as well. So there's two reconciliations, as you, and you might remember from chapter 2, the detail that, I haven't time to go back through that, but he detailed that some as well then in chapter 2. But this mystery, and, and this mystery of Christ, and thus, as he puts it in verse 6, he says, this, mis the, this mystery is... That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. So he says, here's the mystery. Here's what was hidden that you now know. That there's, there's this one way to be reconciled to God and united to each other. And that way is through Jesus. Now, if you're a student of the Old Testament, you would ask, why is that mysterious? Because if you read through the Old Testament, you will get the sense, the understanding, that God's promise of being his people isn't simply for those of Israel. For instance, you read Genesis chapter 12, the opening verses in that chapter, the promises made to Abraham. And one of the promises is that through your seed, all the families or all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So if you read that, you, you wouldn't think and shouldn't think that all the promises made to Abraham would be confined just to his descendants, just to Israelites, if you will. You could read a number of other places, but if you read the, in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, you read that Israel was to be the light to the nations. And you read this a number of times through Isaiah's 
prophetic word. In other places, you find the nations of the world coming uh, to God, not just Israelites. And so, well, how is this? Why is this a mystery? Well, it's, it's a mystery. What was hidden was not simply that it would happen, but how it would happen, the way it would happen. Because you read through the Old Covenant, what you, what you would come to think is that it comes through the nation of Israel. That if Gentiles want to belong to God, they have to adhere to the Torah. They have to go through all of the, uh, of the rituals and obey all of the laws that were true for Israel. The circumcision and Sabbath observance and dietary laws and, and temple worship and sacrifice and all of that. The mystery here is Christ. He is the true Israel of God. That all people, whether Jew or Gentile, come through him, you see. He's the fulfillment of all Israel was to be. He's the son of God. He's the firstborn. He's the true light. He's the true vine. So it isn't that we come to God, anyone, by adhering to Torah, but we come to God through the true Israel, through, through Jesus. And so Paul says, now, I've been, I've been called, I've been commissioned, I've been given this revelation of this oneness through Christ, of this people, as he called the new man in chapter 2, this new humanity, this new community, the church. He says, he says well, all of this, you see, uh, I've been given this mystery, and, and now I've been given it to proclaim it. I'm a steward of it. It's just not for me, but I'm a, I'm a steward of it. So he would know himself to be an ambassador for Christ, you see. And not only that, uh, as he talked to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, he had this good deposit and he was to guard it. In First Timothy, in chapter 6 and verse 20, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And then in, in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, In verse 14, he says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit which has been entrusted to you. Now, when he says that to Timothy, he doesn't say, Now take the gospel and put it in a vault (laughs) and and guard it so that nobody can get to it. What he was saying is, No, 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 we're commissioned to share this, that we're stewards of it, and we've been entrusted by God to have this this treasure, this gospel, and and now we need to, we need to, we need to share it with the whole world, but guard it in such a way that it doesn't change. Guard it in such a way that we don't dilute it. Guard it in such a way that we don't add or subtract. Guard it in such a way that it's the pure gospel, the very gospel, I would say, that comes through us from Jesus through the apostles and, and prophets, this gospel that I have preached, Paul would say to you. So, so guard it in that, in that sense. So Paul says, I, I have this revelation, and it's this revelation of, of, of Jesus He reconciles us to God, but also creates in himself this this new community, this new humanity, the church. And he says, I want you, and so now he says, so now I've been called by his grace um, to preach it. And Paul really loves to emphasize that he is what he is by the grace of God. And so he says that I'm the very least of all the saints. And you think, oh, come on, Paul. And he said, I think he'd argue with you. In fact, he uses an expression here that's, that's rather interesting. It, it, you know, if you say that something is the least, then what you mean is that there's nothing leaster, right? 
But Paul uses an expression that he says, I'm the leaster. I'm the leastest. I'm the most least. He, he can't just stop with least. He said, no, no, no. I'm the, and Paul understood himself to be that. And he said, he said, because look, I was, there couldn't have been and can't have been throughout all history anybody more against Jesus than I was. Look at my life. I imprisoned people who followed Jesus. I killed them. I had them killed. That was my passion. If you ask me what my passion was, I would say my passion, my goal in life, what drives me is to destroy the faith of everyone who has faith in Jesus. And he says, I was the, and so that's why I think when Paul writes, he writes about having been chosen in Christ, and he, he would look at people and say, how else could I be other than God at work? God doing something that I could never do. How could I know this? Unless it was revealed to me and my eyes were open to it. How, how, how could any of that be true? You know, I use the expression often of myself that I'm a flabbergasted Christian, which means I, I'm just amazed that I believe in Jesus. Just amazed. Because I know people smarter than me who don't believe. I know people that I, on the outside, at least, it looks like they live a better life than I do. And, and yet they, they don't believe. Uh, I, I know people that have grown up in, in good churches who don't believe. And, and so I look in the mirror and I think about my own life. And I say, wow, why? I don't know. Other than God has done something. And so Paul says, I'm the least of all the saints. This is really God's grace. I have no right to be doing this other than the fact that I received the revelation and I have this call. And he says, this call that I have is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. What an expression. He says, they're unsearchable. It isn't that you shouldn't try to search it out. That, that's really the, 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 the life that we live when we come to gather and we talk to each other about the faith. What we're doing is, is we're trying to, to talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ. To try to fathom the unfathomable, if you will. Uh, these unsearchable riches. And they're riches, you see. One commentator puts it like this. He says, the riches of Christ refers to the valuable content of the message itself. Paul was convinced as we must be, that Christ never impoverishes those who put their trust in him, but always immeasurably enriches them. You know, one of the things Paul's trying to do with this group of people is to say, don't be discouraged about my suffering. I'm not impoverished by the grace of God. Even though I'm in prison, I'm still enjoying the unsearchable Riches of his grace. It's, Paul uses this expression riches all over the place. For instance, in chapter 1 and verse 18, when he's describing the grace of God, verse 7, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. You see, there, 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 isn't, there isn't anything small or diminished We're limited about the grace of God. Whatever your sin is, whatever your sins are, there's grace to cover it because his grace is rich. It it, it knows no bound, you see. Think. I know when I think about sin, there's certain sins that come to my mind about myself. 
And what we need to know is that the grace of Christ covers them. And in my head, I'm thinking, even that one, it seems to beset my whole life. Yes, even that one. Paul would say, of course that one. Because look at my life. How, how, how could I be forgiven if, if you are not, given what I've done in the course of my life? And, and so even, even that, you see, we should say that this moment, whatever sins are flashing before your very eyes, and I know they are, um, I can see your faces, realize, really please, by the mercy of God, really realize, is faith in Jesus, that they're dealt with at the cross. And receive that, know that. The riches of his grace. So much is this important that in verse 18 of chapter 1, when he's praying, he's praying that um, uh, God would give us a spirit of wisdom and, and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we may know what is the hope to which he's called us and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And Paul's saying, I know what it looks like to you. I'm in prison. But, but trust me, uh, I know, I know the riches of my inheritance. I, I know what's really true of me, what I really have. Well, there are times when we lose everything. We think we've lost everything, whether it's financially or health or, or friendships or whatever it is. We think we've lost everything. We think we have nothing. Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You've everything. You've everything. This inheritance that is yours. Oh, you may not feel it, possess it, have it in your pocket at the moment, but, but really it's yours. And he says, I want you to know that, the riches of your inheritance. In chapter 3, as we get to his prayer later, verse 16, uh, he'll, 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 he'll begin verse 14. He said, for this reason, my, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And you're saying, I, I don't know that that could ever happen. I mean, could I really be strengthened with the very power of God? And he says, oh, yes, because, because he's rich in glory. There isn't any power that, that eludes him. He has all the power that, that anybody could ever need or want. And so can he really? Yes, of course, because he's not limited at all in supplying riches and in, in, in supplying strength you see because it comes from the riches of his glory so so all of that paul says the unsearchable riches of his grace and i, I suspect he has in mind all that he's been talking about up until this point in chapter chapter one he says if you would ask him what are the riches of of the very grace of god he says well everything that's yours because you're in christ because you're united to him because what is true of him it's true of you in the eyes of God, that you're holy and blameless in the sight of God. And you think, how could that be? Paul, can, how could that be given my life? How could that be given my life? Oh, because the riches, the unsearchable riches of his grace, you see. We've been adopted once estranged from God, but now we really do belong to him. I hope we get that. We really do belong to him. When we say, Father, he says, yes. You know? And, 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 and so we really do belong to him. 
We're adopted. We're redeemed. We've really been purchased out of slavery to sin and death. And now we're free to follow him. It's really true. He says, that's the unsearchable riches of his grace. But it doesn't feel like that. He says, I know it's unsearchable, isn't it? It's more amazing than you could ever ask or even imagine. And so, yes, the unsearchable riches of his grace, um, that you've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been filled with his spirit. You've been saved by grace through faith. You've been raised. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. How can you even fathom that, he says, but it's really true. You see, the riches of his grace, that you're his workmanship. You've been created, recreated, created in Christ Jesus to do that which is good, to do good works that he's prepared for us, for his people to do, you see. And so Paul says, I've been, I've been here I've been to preach because people don't know this. So I have to preach. I have to declare it. I have to speak it forth. I'm a steward of his, of this mystery of Christ. And so that's part of it. But there's another aspect of the mystery of Christ. And he says, I've been, uh, I've been asked to enlighten. That's so I'm called to preach. And also then he says to enlighten in verse nine and to bring light to everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? And so we've got to see this. This is, when I was thinking about preaching Ephesians, um, most people thought, well, how's he going to get over chapter one and all that stuff? Well, that's easy. But what's amazing is this next expression that he lays out for us, that he wants us to see. And I imagine Paul in prison, this he might have been thinking, this might be hard for you to see right now with me in prison and other people suffering. But But this is... This is really, really true. He says, because people's eyes are darkened, we have to pray and ask that God will give us light. And so as I come and I declare the gospel, what I'm doing is that people will be able to see and know the unsearchable riches of Christ that has come to faith and be reconciled to God. But not only that, but to see something else. To see the whole purpose for which this is all happening. To see the whole purpose for which I'm preaching. Notice what he puts, verse 9. And he says, and to bring to light... For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that, this is why I'm preaching, this is why I'm enlightening, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authority in heavenly places. He says, do you realize, church, that you're being watched? That you realize that the most important thing that's happening in all of history, it isn't what's going on in nations. It's not what's going on with kings and presidents. It's not what's going on in treaties. It's not what's going on in your family. It's not what's going on in education. It's not what's going on politically, socially, financially, economically. It's not what's going on in all those institutions that we watch so closely and we gauge our well-being by. He says, that's not it at all. He says, it's all wrapped around the church. That the rulers and principalities and heavenly places, that's the, that's the audience, they're, they're watching what's going on. 
You say, well, who are they? Who <laughs> are doing all of this watching? Well, well, scholars debate this, but at least these two entities, good angels and bad ones, right? Uh, the, the, the good angels are watching, thinking, they're not omniscient, by the way. I mean, they're just hanging around and they do the Lord's bidding. But, but, but they're not omniscient. They, they, don't, they don't know. They don't, they don't have the revelation necessarily. They're just watching. And they're saying, is this really work? Is this really going to work? In fact, the way Peter puts it in his first, Peter, uh, first epistle, uh, first Peter, uh, in chapter one and verse, uh, verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. In other words, prophets, they were they really, they were looking for Christ, the Messiah. They were looking for Christ. And so verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. This was to come. They were serving um, not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, that is the gospel, the work of Christ, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. He says, oh, they've been watching this whole thing. <laughs> they've been longing to, to see about all this. And you, you get the impression, you see, that when Jesus was being crucified, the angels were scratching their head a bit going, wait, 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 wait a minute, didn't we make a big announcement about this? You know, didn't we say that he was the son of David and all of that? And what's happening now? Is this really going to work? And, and he says, yes, of course. How do they know that it worked? How do they see the wisdom of God? Well, in the church, which is the end result of what Christ accomplished on the cross, and the demons too. In Ephesians 6, he'll speak of them very, very forthrightly. In verse 12, he says, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And so they're watching too. Now at the cross, they had a very different vantage point. They thought, oh, we've won. <laughs> We've done away with this, with this whole Christ Messiah thing. We've got him. He's dead. But alas, here we are. Do you, do you understand that we together, just us here, but believers throughout all generations, and throughout the whole world, are the manifestation, the display, of the wisdom of God. Paul's sitting in prison going, I, I, maybe you didn't notice that. <laughs> maybe you didn't. Maybe I've been able to see that. But it's, it's really true. We're the wisdom of God. Because you see, wisdom, real wisdom, is knowing the best end and the best means to get there. Right? Wisdom is knowing the best end and knowing the best means to get there. The best end is the glory of God. The, the, the best end is for God to be magnified and glorified. Through Christ, 
We're the best means <laughs> to his wisdom. We're the manifestation of that wisdom. We're the display of that wisdom. He says, my wisdom is in the cross. I read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and, and the essence of that passage is, is that, well, the cross is the wisdom of power in God, the wisdom and power of God. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. You don't see it. But to those who are being saved, it's the wisdom and power of God. How is the cross? The wisdom and the power of God. What's the power of God? Because by it, he defeats sin and death. It's the wisdom of God. Because it's the only way to do that. For God to be just, deal with sin, and also to justify those who are sinners. Because he can't be righteous and let sinners go free. But he can be loving and merciful by pouring out his justice on one who stands for us, his very own, and that we who trust in him might then be forgiven and go free. We sitting here, all believers throughout all generations, all believers throughout all our country at the very moment, country and world throughout, uh, who believe, we're the evidence of the wisdom of God. That he did it. That he can do it. So Paul says, I've been commissioned to let you know that. This is who you are. And if you're watching governments, fine, that's fun, that's interesting, that has some impact on our life. But that's not it. If you're watching the well-being of the United States and you think your well-being, the well-being of all history depends upon this nation, you're wrong. You're watching Iran and you think that the history of the world depends on Iran, you're wrong. If you're watching Israel and you think the history of the world depends on Israel, you're wrong. If you're watching China and you think the history of the world uh, um, uh, depends on China, you're wrong. If you're watching scientific discoveries and scientific institutions and scientific technologies and you think that's going to be the solution to the well-being of the world, you're wrong. If you're looking at educational institutions and you think that's going to be uh, the key to the well-being of the world, you're wrong. The, the key to the well-being of all of history and all the world, the sum of it all, is us. The Church of Jesus Christ. The center of everything. He said in chapter 1 that the whole purpose of the whole thing is to unite all things in Christ. And so Paul says, I've been given the grace of God to preach that. That I've been given the grace of God to enlighten people to that. It's my, we have a stewardship of it. We have a stewardship of it. We talk about all these other things. We can be concerned about all these other things. We can be involved in all, all these other things. But we've been entrusted with this good deposit of the gospel. And it's our job, therefore, to tell it to our children. I mean, how many times have we heard parents say, well, I want my kids to grow up and figure it out on their own. No. <laughs> we've been entrusted with the gospel and our children to teach them this gospel and to enable them to see it as God gives us help. And, and so that's our call, you see. Is to be very biased, right? And to teach other children as well. That's why we do the VBS, the way that we do it. We invite all the children who want to come, who can come. 
We tell parents crazy things like, hey, you want a couple hours off in the middle of the morning for a week? Bring them to our vacation Bible school. We'll take care of them. They'll have a great time. Why do we say that? So we can work harder, causes it, but we, so we can tell them about Jesus. We've been given this stewardship. And we know this is, this is what everyone's watching. And so you see, during VBS, as we're sharing the gospel with kids who don't know Jesus, angels are watching. Demons are watching. And they're saying, is God a fool? Or is he wise? Is this gospel really the truth? Or is it nothing? And as kids get saved and people come into this church and are united with him and with each other, then the angel, yes! It's, it's, that's, the wisdom. that's the wisdom of God. Look what just happened, right? And the demons go, rats. Right? I know rats. They probably didn't say rats. I don't know. what. They, maybe the demons probably liked rats for all I know. Uh, I don't know what they'd say. Probably can't say it here. But probably take the Lord's name in vain at that point in time. Go, Jesus. The Lord's go, yes, that's right. So. That's what's happening, you see. It's happening throughout the whole world. So it's been happening generation after generation after generation. So the question for us is, do we really know that? Do we really think about ourselves like that? Do we really get it? Do we really see? Do we, you know that right now? Because it's, it's really at its height on Sundays as the church gathers here and throughout the whole world, you see. Hour after hour after hour, because of time zones of churches, Christians are gathering on this whole day, you see, throughout the world. And, and, and so, so it, it, that's when it's probably at the height as we gather and, and, and the angels are hearing us praise and go, yes, the wisdom of God. The demons are going, oh, no, look at this. Uh, we've lost. Uh, that's the sense of it, you see. That's the sense of, of all history. Now, there'll be so many people this morning watching Meet the Press thinking, oh, that's, that's what's the most important thing this morning. And it just really isn't. This, throughout the whole world, throughout every generation, is the most important thing you see. And so the question when we gather, do we know that? Do you realize that there's, there's somebody watching? So when you yawn through the first hymn, is that a good thing? What are the angels thinking? I, 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 I thought that this was the wisdom of God. But look at that person over there yawning through the first day. Maybe not, you know, maybe not. Or when you're thinking about not coming, I, I don't think the angels are seeing uh, people on the golf course, Christians on the golf course this morning as the wisdom of God, you see. Um, it's, it's, it's in the gathering place of the people of God, you see. And when we come to fellowship and, and all of that, and we gather together and, 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 and when we love each other in various ways, you see, the audience that's ab- above us looks at this thing and they go, yes, this is the wisdom of God. Now, no one local congregation, no one particular church can show all of this. We, we can't be that diverse. We can't, we can't be everybody. We can't have, be represented in every way, shape, or form. But if you get the bird's eye view, you know, and you look down from where the angels are viewing, I suspect, and the demons are seeing, you see this whole thing, generation after generation, throughout the whole world. And you go, there's people uh, in, in China uh, today, on this Sunday, 
who are worshiping God, the true and living God, through faith in Jesus in a language that Bill would never understand. And yet, yet there, he, Bill and these other people, this church, Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Lawrence, Kansas, they're united to this church in China even though they've never met, even though they don't speak the same language, even though they would never go out to lunch together, they probably wouldn't like the same food, whatever it is. Although we'd probably like their food better than they like our food. But you get the point. And that's how we must really see ourselves and understand ourselves every moment of every day. Not arrogant. Paul says, we're the least of it. How did this ever happen to us? Right? But it's true. So he's going to go on. He's going to pray. And then he's going to teach again on what that means, how we're to live. But never forget that we are the display of the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us that, that you would enable us uh, to get that. As Paul is going to pray, I, I pray that according to the riches of your glory that you may in fact grant us to be strengthened with power uh, through your spirit within so that Christ may dwell in our hearts together through faith that we'd be rooted and grounded in love and have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God so that when we're watched by angels, by demons, by other human beings, that what they would see in us is the wisdom and the power and the great love of God to take sinners as all of us and save us and reconcile us to God and to create among us and all of the believers in the world today and all other believers throughout all of history to create a new community, a new people, a people that will for all eternity glorify you and one day see it up close and personal as we live together as your people, the new heavens and the new earth. So Father, be with us. Give us a glimpse of that, particularly those today might be straying from faith. Give us a glimpse of that, especially today for those who are suffering in various ways. Give us a glimpse of that so that we may walk as your people faithfully in Jesus' name.